0: Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. We are taking and literally unpacking the Apostles' Creed, the oldest creed in Christendom. John the Apostle died in roughly the year 100. According to William Barclay, great Bible scholar, we had the Apostles' Creed by the year 100. Others say it took until the year 110. Now, it's the oldest creed in Christendom. And for over two thousand years, or for roughly two thousand years, Christians have been making the confession of the Apostles' Creed. In fact, by the year 110, it was referred to as the Rule of Faith. We call it the Apostles' Creed; they called it the Rule of Faith. And when a Christian, someone became a Christian, wanted to be water baptized, they would make the confession of what we call the Apostles' Creed, that they called the rule of faith, and then they would be water baptized. So literally over the last 2,000 years, billions of Christians have made this confession. Now, it's important because in the book of Jude, the third verse, it's just one chapter, the third verse, it says to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, the faith is what Christians believe. And it was given once for all. In other words, what Christians believed in the first century is what Christians believe in the 21st century. Right? Now we're living in a time when people are literally, they say they create their own reality. Their religion, they take a little bit of Buddhism, they take some reincarnation, they take a little bit of New Age, maybe a little bit of Christianity, put it in a blender and whip it up and say this is what I believe. And they say, you know, this is my form of Christianity. Uh, It's not Christian at all. Christians have always believed the same thing. What they believed in the first century, real Christians still believe in the 21st century. I mentioned um, several years ago, I was doing some research and I read a book entitled A New Kind of Christianity. And I read the book. The author was very smart, very good author, very good writer. The only problem was what he wrote was not Christian. Right? We have people trying to reinvent Christianity. But the truth is this, that Jesus purchased the blood, the, the church, with his own blood. Right? That the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, it endures forever. Right? God says, I am the Lord and I change not. Right? The gospel has not changed. Truth has not changed. And so we've been beginning each one of our sessions by confessing the Apostles' Creed together, right? Uh, They're going to put it up here. We're going to go back to the original form. Now, what we have here is a little bit modern form. What happened, and I don't know the exact time, I'm imagining a couple hundred years ago, because that's where personal salvation really began to be emphasized apart from connection to the church, right? But the original Apostles' Creed did not say, I believe, it said, we believe, Right, so what we're going to do today is we're going to confess it the way it was originally confessed. All right, we're going to go. We believe. All right, um, in the last service uh, we began the confession of the Apostles' Creed and, and I goofed up. All right, um, and uh, and so we had to, we had to do it. We had to start all over because I goofed up. And and I just want you to know I goof up from time to time. All right, um, many years ago um, we were we were doing we were doing communion. And I goofed, all right? You say, what did you do? I, I, I did the, the cup, the blood, before I did the, the, the wafer representing the body, all right? So it's supposed to be the, the, the body first and, and then the blood, but I goofed up, all right? And I had somebody come up afterwards, and they're like, what did you do? That's heresy and we're leaving the church. And I'm like, stop, stop, I goofed. It was a mistake. It was just a mistake, all right? So uh, just so you know, we do make some mistakes. But let's confess together the creed and let's go back to we believe, all right? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, we're going to look at these last two phrases today, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, how God is going to resurrect a person who's been dead for thousands of years, somebody who was eaten by a shark, burned in a building, whatever may have happened, I honestly do not know how. Uh, It could be he's going to clone you, that he's taken one of your cells, he's got one. I'm not sure how, but this is what I know. That the God who said, let there be light in the universe leaped into existence is going to have no problems. Right. How he's going to do it, I don't know. But is there anything hard for the Lord? No, there's not. And, and this would not even be a, 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 a little bitty difficult thing. Now, the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. People say, I thought it was the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis does go back all the way to the beginning, but Genesis literally covers 2,000 years, right? Um, about the time of Genesis 11, 12, the book of Job took place, right? And Job makes a statement in the 19th chapter that they want to read to you. He said, for I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, other translations say, after the pinworms have eaten my flesh, this I know, that in my flesh I will see God whom I will see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, how my heart yearns within me." I believe that was Job's finest hour, but he's referring to the resurrection. And he said, I don't, he, he didn't know how God was going to do it. He said, but after my body has been destroyed, after the pinworms have eaten my flesh, I am going to see God for myself. My eye will behold him and not another. He knew that there was going to be a resurrection, all right? And the Christians have always believed in a resurrection, all right? Now, you will not for eternity be a ghost and run around like Casper, all right? You will not be some disembodied spirit. You will not be an angel, all right? You will be a human being. You will be in a body like Jesus body after he arose from the dead he appeared to his disciples and he said look at me and he said come and touch me see that a spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see I have then he took a piece of fish and a piece of honeycomb and he ate them right in front of them showing that he was not a spirit 1 Corinthians 15 but if there is no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found also to be false witnesses of God because we have testified that God raised them from the dead whom God did not raise up if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not risen. He's saying the proof that God is going to raise all believers is the fact that God has already raised Jesus. This truth is referred to in Romans 8 as well as in the book of Thessalonians. Romans 8 says this, But if the Spirit of him who raised up from the dead dwells in you, the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, if it's in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Thessalonians 3, 21. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. In other words, at the resurrection, your body is going to go through a transformation. It's going to be like Jesus' body. You say, what's that like? Well, it doesn't age. He could walk through a wall. He could take a step and it could be three feet or it could be 500 miles. It's going to be like his glorious body. According to the working by which he himself is able to subdue all things to himself. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many believe it? Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or who have died in Jesus. The way God raised Jesus from the dead, he will also raise you from the dead. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we are alive and remain and the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, With the trump of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Christians have always understood that your body is important and that what you do with your body is important. You were redeemed spirit, soul, and body. Now, at the time the New Testament was written, we had the the Greek Roman culture. And in their minds, the body was not important, right? Their thought was the spirit's important, but your body is unimportant and it's temporary, right? Someday it dies, it gets put in the grave and it's there forever. And your spirit's important, but your body is not. And so whether you get drunk, you commit adultery, fornication, uh, it's only your body. It's really not important because it's not your spirit. And their thought was someday your body dies put in a grave, it never emerges, and your spirit would go to the land of the dead. Now, that was not what Christians believed. Christians believed your body is important. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're to glorify God with your body. In fact, your body doesn't even belong to you. It was redeemed, and it belongs to God. Let me give you a couple of verses here. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 6 and verse 17. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but you commit sexual immorality, sins against his own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, who you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. It's my body, I'll do what I want to. Not if you're a Christian. You were bought with a price. You belong to God, spirit, soul, and body. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are gods? What do you think about this? This is very, very different from our thinking today, but this is Christian thinking. Right? Let's go to the first, second, third century. Right? We have Christians. They're, they're in Rome. A Christian would die. How many of you have heard of the catacombs? Right? The Christians would go down in the catacombs and they would bury their dead. Now, if you go to Rome today and you can take a tour and they will tell you, we can show you over 5 million Christian graves down in these catacombs. The Christians would go down there, they would bury their dead, and they would worship. Now, they would do that contrary to the culture. At at that time, 98% of people in the Roman Empire were cremated. But if they were caught burying their dead, they were going to end up in the gladiatorial games. And they weren't going to be gladiators, they were going to be eaten by lions. So it could possibly cost them their life All right, but they said we are going to bury our dead because what we do with the body, it is important. All right, the Bible teaches us to sow the body looking to the resurrection, right? Now, let me give you a couple of things to just think about. Abraham is the father of the faith. And we're told to imitate the faith of Abraham. The Bible very clearly talks distinctly about Abraham's wife, Sarah dying, and Abraham buried his wife. By the way, it tells us where Abraham is buried, his wife is buried, Isaac, his wife, Jacob, his wife, they're all buried. Moses died and God performed the service. And the Bible says that God buried Moses. All right? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All right? In the New Testament, we have Stephen, the first martyr. The Bible says godly men take Stephen and bury him. Now, I think it's interesting in the United States, all cemeteries are, are, are the same, right? When we bury a person, we bury them with their head to the uh, west, to their feet, to the east, because the Bible says when Jesus returns, he will appear in the eastern sky. So you pop up and you go, ah, Jesus, here I am, ready to go. And that is literally why we do that, all right? Now, the, the, the year is 1300. Rome is as pagan as it ever was, all right? of people are cremated. 2% are buried. 313 comes around. Constantine has a vision, becomes a Christian. Shortly thereafter, Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And by the year 400, get this, 98% of people in the Roman Empire are buried and only 2% are cremated. Because of the Christian influence. The Christians believe, even in death, what I do with my body is important. Somebody says, well, what if somebody's cremated? No problem. Eaten by a shark, burned in a a building? No problem. When resurrection day comes. But as an act of faith, they wanted to bury their dead because what they did with their body, they knew was important. All right? So we're going to jump right ahead quickly to everlasting life because I've got a lot to say about this. Everlasting life. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now what we tend to think of is we're going to have life forever. And we say to people, you know, become a Christian and you'll live forever. And that's true. But yet it's misleading because if you don't become a Christian, you're going to live forever. It's just a matter of where you're going to live. Some are going to live forever in heaven. Some are going to live forever in hell. But everybody is going to live forever. So let me talk to you just a minute about this word here, everlasting life. In the, the original Greek language, the Koine Greek, it's the word Zoe, Zoe. Um, nowadays, a lot of people are naming their little girls Zoe. I think a cute little name. Now, it means something different than what we think it means. All right? In fact, uh, I have right here my, my translator's New Testament. Now, suppose you were to go and work with Wycliffe Bible translators and they sent you to South America. You went way back in the jungle and you lived with an indigenous people. You learned their language. You put together an alphabet and you began to translate their language Uh, or excuse me, yeah, their language into the New Testament or the New Testament into their language, one of the tools that you're given is a translator's New Testament. And it has all sorts of great notes to help you as you're translating the New Testament. Now, this is what it says about that word everlasting life and eternal life. It It says, in the New Testament, it is given to all true believers, this kind of life. The word eternal draws attention to the quality of the life, not to its duration in a temporal sense. In other words, when it says eternal, it's not talking about how long it lasts. It's talking about where it comes from. It comes from the eternal realm. It comes from the eternal one. In other words, God gives you his life. God puts something inside you. 1 John 3.9 says that his seed or his life remains in you he puts his life inside you now how long does it last forever it lasts forever right but it drawing attention to the quality of the life not to its duration in a temporal sense thus eternal life can be experienced by believers even while subject to temporal conditions of earthly life translators should be careful to avoid expressions which mean no more than a timeless continuation of life after death right? so in other words This eternal life that you receive, it doesn't begin to work when you die, it begins to work immediately. The moment you receive Jesus, something happens on the inside. God puts this Zoe life inside you. How long does it last? Forever. It lasts forever. Your salvation doesn't begin when you die. Your salvation begins immediately when you receive Jesus. He makes you a new person on the inside. You become a part of his family instantly. Now Jesus said this, Matthew 25, verse 46, and these will go to everlasting punishment, but the righteous to everlasting or eternal life. Greek word is the same, right? Everlasting punishment, everlasting life. Same word. So we cannot have eternal life in heaven forever without having an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. Now, when Jesus returns, in Revelation chapter 20, five times in six verses, it mentions the fact that Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. And after that, we have what theologians refer to as the eternal kingdom. Now, if you you have a Bible or you're taking notes, um, write down Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. And if you're not taking notes, write down Revelation 21, 1 through 5. All right? (laughs) You you, you want this. Now, whether you're a Lutheran, a Wesleyan, an Armenianist, a Calvinist, or a Catholic, all believe the same thing about this, all right? We all believe this, but here's what's interesting. 98% of people sitting in churches do not understand that we believe this, all right? We have this picture of heaven that we're going to go somewhere and we're going to wear a sheet, we're going to float on a cloud, we're going to wear a harp and eat grapes. And there's going to be little naked baby angels floating around with bows and arrows, you know, That's, that's kind of the picture that people have. All right? And I remember when I became a Christian. A part of the reason I became a Christian, I mean, I wanted to be forgiven, but I really did not want to go to hell. And, and I thought, this is what I thought, I thought, you know what, I'm going to become a Christian, I'm never going to have fun anymore, but at least I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to wear a sheet, play a harp, be on a fl- the cloud, eat grapes. Have naked baby angels running around. But at least that's better than burning. All right? Now, we got that from some picture somewhere. All right? But that is not in the Bible. All right? All right? This is heaven in the Bible. Listen. I saw a new heaven or atmosphere and a new earth. The Apostle Peter says that this earth that we know, this is what he says. This is a a quote. He says... The atmosphere will explode in fervent heat, and every element will melt. Right? You say, is the world going to end in some sort of a nuclear catastrophe? No. The way the world is going to end is God is going to say, this one is worn out, and he is going to burn it up. God's going to do that. Every element will melt. Your house, your car. Your ring, your, your 401K, whatever you've got, it's going to be gone. All right? All of it. But then he's going to make a new heaven or a new atmosphere and a new earth. How many of you know when man sinned, God cursed this earth? It's beautiful, but it's under a curse. Can you imagine what God's going to do when he brings us one? Well, he takes away the first that he can establish the second. He's going to bring us a better one, uncursed, perfect, perfect earth. The first heaven or atmosphere in the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. God moves. He moves from what we call heaven, and he comes down to earth. But when God moves... He doesn't take a U-Haul. He takes a city. That's what it says. He takes a whole city. 1,500 miles square. And God comes down with the city. All right. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said to me, behold, I make all things new. And he said, right, for these words are true and faithful. Heaven is not going to be a boring place. Heaven is going to be more awesome than you can imagine. And that is literally a promise from God. Listen to this. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart or the imagination of man. Those things that God has prepared for those that love him. What God has prepared, the Bible says, is so awesome, nobody has even imagined how good it is. How many of you have got a pretty good imagination? It says what God has prepared is beyond our ability to even imagine, all right? So let me just give you 10 benefits of eternal life, of the life everlasting. Number one, if we get a brand new body, this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. To be mortal means to be death-doomed, to be subject to sickness, disease, pain, death. But this mortal body, It's going to put on immortality. No longer subject to sickness or disease or pain or death. How many of you have noticed as you get older, things are wearing out? They're deteriorating. All right? But the truth is... (laughs) We're going to get a new body. Right now, you know, things are getting old. Things are slumping. Men get furniture disease. You know, their their chest ends up in their drawers. Stuff is just moving. Things are not working the way they're supposed to work anymore. All right? But all of that death and decaying and sickness and aging and disease is going to be gone, and you're going to get a brand-new body, perfect, just like Jesus' body. Well, that's good. there will be freedom from pain and sorrow. God himself will wipe away every tear from their eye. No more death, sorrow, or crying. There'll be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The hurts from your past, your failures, your disappointments, the crippling pains that you've had as you've experienced different things in life, every one of them, God, is going to wipe them away. And heaven is going to be a place of perfect peace and joy beyond your imagination. Number three, the ultimate personal estate. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's gone to prepare a place for you. But the Bible says what he's got in mind, it's beyond your imagination. Well, my imagination I couldn't even come up with this one. In 1895, George Vanderbilt built himself uh, a house. Um, 178,000 square feet sat on 125,000 acres. That's approximately 200 square miles. All right. It had 250 rooms, 35 bedrooms, 43 bathrooms, and 65 fireplaces. And had its own railway station that came right to his house. But what God's got planned for you, it's better. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. Wow. Number four. All our questions are going to get answered in heaven. Now I see in a mere dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of questions. Those six days of creation, were they 24 hours? Or were they a long period of time? And where did Cain get his wife? And by the way, where has the Ark been hidden anyway? The Ark of the Covenant. Not Noah's Ark, but the Ark of the... Where has that thing been? All right? And, and besides, but, but I have got, how many, let me just ask you, how many, there is stuff that has happened to you or people you know, and you're just like, why did that happen? And why didn't my prayer get answered? Why, how many you got some whys? <laughs> right? When we get to heaven, all of our questions are going to get answered. Right? It's going to be a great adventure. This new heaven, this new earth, the Bible says that even creation for the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Even the creation itself is going to be changed. This world is going to be so much more beautiful and awesome than what it is right now. Wow. Number six, we get to hang out with all of our heroes. Jesus said that they will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can you imagine having dinner with Moses? Having lunch with Enoch? having breakfast at King David's Hotel in Jerusalem with King David. I mean, we're going we're to get, get to hang out with our Bible heroes. Right? Number seven, it is going to be a tremendous time of family reunion. Now, Jacob is about to die. He knows it. He gathers all of his kids together. And he talks to each one of his kids and he admonishes each one of his kids. And he said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my father in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. We were just there about four months ago. In the field of Michpala, which is before Madre in the land of Canaan that Abraham brought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebecca, his wife. And there I buried Leah. Now think about this. He's just talked to his, all his kids and grandkids. But now he starts talking about grandpa and grandma. He started talking about mom and dad. And then he talks about his wife, Leah. He's there, I buried Leah. This is what he understands. Right? In fact, let me just read what happens. All right. He gives all that talk. And then this is what it says. He drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And was gathered to his people. When someone dies, we have a memorial service and we grieve. But I've got news for you. We are not grieving for them because they are in a celebration service. You see, when you die, your friends Your relatives, your loved ones that have already died in the Lord, they're going to have a celebration, a welcoming party for you in heaven. You will be gathered to your, everybody say people. Say my people. You're going to be gathered to your people. And when you get to heaven, some of the first faces that you're going to see are going to be your loved ones that have gone on before you, and they will go, ah, you made it. We weren't sure, but you made it. And now we have got stuff to show you that is going to blow your mind. Had never even entered into the imagination of a person. I tell you, you do not want to miss heaven. Family reunion. Then there is the crown of righteousness. It's what Paul wrote. He said, finally they're laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all that love his appearing. There's going to be a crown of righteousness for you. And then we're going to receive our heavenly rewards. Jesus said to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal. He said, we need to do that. Now, lay up for yourselves. In Revelation 22, Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly. He said, and my reward is in my hand. Message Bible says, and my paycheck is in my hand, to give to everyone according to his works. Listen, you are not saved by what you do, but Jesus will reward you for what you do because you love him and you love his kingdom. There's going to be a time of rewards in heaven. There's going to be streets of gold. There's going to be, man, the tree of life. There's going to be that river of life flowing out from the throne of God. There's going to be all sorts of awesome things in heaven. But what makes heaven the best? The best thing about heaven. 1 John 3. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not been revealed yet what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed... We will be like him, for we shall see him. The best part about heaven is we're going to see Jesus face to face. The Savior, the Redeemer, the Creator, the one that loved us and gave himself for us face to face. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? When Jesus was here on earth, he said to his disciples, who do people say I am? They said, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah. Herod the king says that you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. But he said, who do you say that I am? C.S. Lewis said, you need to make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. Who do you say that Jesus is? It's not enough to just know who he is. You need to take one more step, and you need to receive him for who he is. The Bible says, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be made the children of God. Uh, And you can know all about him, but if you're living your life selfishly for the world, your flesh, and the devil, you you have not received him, and you need to receive him today. Receive him as the Savior. Receive him as the one who paid for your sin and the one who's coming to redeem you and live your life for him. If you haven't done that, you need to. And if you're here, you're away from God, this is for you. If you're here, you don't know where you stand with God, this is for you. If you're here and you know all about God, but you have never received him and given him your life, this is for you. In a minute, I'm going to count to three. When I say three... want you to lift your hand. We're going to pray together and God's going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be forgiven right with God on your way to heaven. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.